0: I hope you have your Bibles with you this morning, and you'll open them up to the Gospel of John. And I want you to find in that Gospel the fifth chapter and the 39th verse. Thank you so much, Brother Ed, for reminding us that the answer is God, and as godly men and women take their place of leadership in our nation, well, uh, they have... um, Tard the rest of the parking lot. They put that black stuff on it so that then they can put the asphalt on top of that. So doesn't matter what it rains, they're going to be able to put the asphalt down. And that, of course, will be done this week, which is wonderful. Which means we're that much closer to getting in our building. And we're, we're real close. You say, Brother Fred, what Sunday is that? I'm not going, I don't know. <laughs> I've been giving you two Sundays and missed them both times. 1st of September and the 1st of October. But anyway, we're going to get in soon. I mean, really soon. And uh, I'm excited about it. And, you know, we're, we're praying that on the Sunday we go in the building, that we'll give a, at least a million dollars toward paying off the building. The building ended up costing almost $7 million, counting the property. And right now we, we will owe approximately $3 million when we move in. But if we give a million on that day, then we won't owe but $2 million. Or if we give two million, we won't owe but one million. Well, praise God, if we give three million, we won't own anything. <laughs> so you just pray about it. I want to tell you a story. I got to take just a minute to tell you this. And you know my heart, so I don't have to apologize for saying this. I, I told the Lord about two months ago, I said, now, any money I get over and above what I normally make, because I tithe every Sunday and give offerings, but I said, any money I get over what I make, I'm, every bit of it's going to the offering. And so I preached up in Jackson, and and the Lord blessed with a wonderful offering there. And then it's just been a number of sources. But Saturday, uh, yesterday, I uh, I got a card. And I knew the man's name on the um, outside. And I wondered what he was doing. He lives over in, uh, around Niceville or around uh, Crestview. And I wondered what he was doing sending me a card. And in the card he he uh, said a few things, and then he put a note. He said, "Brother Fred, thirteen years ago, you performed the uh graveside service for my wife, and you know, I never did give you anything for doing that now, I don't charge for funerals or weddings, but gifts are appreciated. You understand you know I'm just cutting up but but uh, I mean it doesn't ever matter to me. He said, You know, I've seen you many times in those thirteen years." you never mentioned it. Now this is 13 years ago. And he said, so I'm sending you this check for $250 for doing my wife's funeral. I said, well, Lord, you just keep sending me money to p- give to that building. You said that was a coincidence. 13 years? Come on. God just said, here's some money to put on the building. So you pray and ask the Lord to send you some, and when he does, know where to give it, okay? Don't, ha- don't be absent-minded. Don't rationalize All right, but we're just trusting the Lord. You know, the Word of God, when it is believed, received, and obeyed, leads to a radically changed life. It's not just enough to believe. It must be received, and it must be obeyed. But then... It produces a radically changed life by Jesus Christ. Now the Bible tells us, and have been preaching it now for 55 years, the Bible says of itself in Hebrews 4, the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides asunder what's the difference between soul and spirit, and joints and marrow. And listen to this, it is a discerner, the Word of God is, of the thoughts and intentions of your heart. So this book is a powerful, powerful, God-inspired and God-empowered book. But you know, the purpose of this book is to bring us to Jesus. And that's why I want you to look with me in John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40. You see, the Pharisees knew the Scripture, but they, they never allowed it to bring them to Jesus. They had their own ideas, their own agenda, and so that they, those who should have seen were blind and didn't see. But notice what it says here about the Scripture. It says in, in John five thirty-nine, You search the Scriptures, for in them... You think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Jesus said, I'm glad you search the scriptures, but you think that in them alone there is eternal life. He said, that's not right. He said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But listen to what he said. But you are not willing to come to me. The scriptures keep telling you to come to me, to come to me. But you're not willing to come to me that you might have life. And that's why I said that the scriptures must not only be believed and received, but they must be obeyed if there's going to be a radical change in our lives. And I want, I want to share with you today what I call uh, life-changing scriptures, scriptures that when they're received and obeyed, just li- literally Will change your life. I want to talk to you about scriptures about salvation. And there are scriptures then about sanctification, growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And then there are scriptures about the sufficiency of Christ. And then there are scriptures about the security that is in Christ. Now let's take this. Just think a minute about the scriptures that there are about salvation. This book is just full of scriptures about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a child of God, what it means to be saved. For example, the person of salvation. Matthew 1, 20 and 21. And you make a note of these and you look them up and read them. You know, Matthew 1, 20 and 21 talks about the person of salvation. You remember the Holy Spirit appeared to Joseph and said Joseph don't don't be disur- don't don't be disturbed that child that is in your uh, Mary's womb was conceived in her by the holy spirit and then that angel goes on and says now when that child is born listen to this you're going she's going you're going to call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins so right there Right when Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit into Mary, the the, the angel said, now, you know, let me tell you why he's coming. He's coming as a savior. You can call his name Jesus. He's going to save his people from their sin. Then you go a little bit further over in the first, the gospel of John, the first chapter and the 29th verse. I'm talking about the person of salvation. John the Baptist sees Jesus coming. What does he say? That wouldn't mean much to a person who did not know the background. But when Jesus came, John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said, this is the Savior. Now, every Jew that heard that, man, it was like dynamite going off because, you know, they had been bringing sacrifices to the tabernacle for years and years. They had been celebrating the Passover when the lamb was sacrificed and the door of of their houses was covered with the blood of the lamb. And for them to hear the words, behold, behold. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. They said, Man, this is the Savior. So the Bible makes clear about salvation. It talks about the person of salvation. Boy, I tell you the one I love so much. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, you know that Peter, when Jesus was on the cross, denied him three times. Denied him. But then on Pentecost, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was the preacher on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 souls came into the kingdom of God. As Peter was preaching, listen to what he said. He talked about the person of salvation. He said in Acts 2.36, this same Jesus that you have crucified is both Lord and Christ. Peter says, I'm telling you who that was that you crucified. He's the Lord, the Savior, and he's the Christ. And God raised him from the dead. So the scriptures just tell us about the person of salvation, that it is in the person of Jesus Christ. Now please listen to me. Salvation is not in the church. The church is important. And, it's a, and by the way, the church is not buildings. It's the church are individuals in whom Jesus Christ lives. You say, where's the church? If you're saved, you're the church. You are. Because Christ lives in you. And salvation is not in a organized religion. It is in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. But let me go on quickly and say that the scriptures not only talk about the person of salvation. They talk about the price. Oh, they talk about the price. I want you to listen. When I discovered this truth, it changed my whole understanding of what it meant to be a child of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, listen at these words. For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, folks, I'm telling you, do you understand? That, that's a one-liner, but it's, it's got enough truth in there that you could never get beyond. He said, the Father made Jesus to be sin for us. Jesus took our sin so that he could give us the righteousness of Jesus. It's like this. It's like God took our sin and he placed it on Jesus. And then he took Jesus' righteousness and he placed it on us. You know the good news is about the price? Jesus had to take our sin so we could have his righteousness. Over in the book of Romans, the fifth chapter, it says we have received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness." Listen, salvation is not getting us out of earth into heaven. Salvation is getting God out of heaven into us. And the salvation is about our righteousness, which is filthy rags, be of no value, but it's God giving us the righteousness of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, great day. What, what, what a wonderful, wonderful truth that the price has been paid. Jesus became sin for us so that we could have His righteousness. And by the way, the only righteousness that will be in heaven is the righteousness of Jesus. Our righteousness is imperfect. But you know, God charged Jesus' righteousness to us. And if you are a child of God, this very moment you have been robed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, the person of salvation, Jesus. But the price of salvation, the price of salvation, it says in 1 John 3.16, not the gospel of John, but 1 John 3.16, it says, By this we know love. He laid down his life for us. In 1 John 4.10, it says, For he made here in his love. Now, now think about this this is the price of salvation. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation, the mercy seat, the substitute for our sins. You see, the scriptures show us the awesomeness of salvation. And it tells us that it's in the person of Jesus Christ and the price has already been paid. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, for we are redeemed. Not with corruptible things such as silver and gold. But we're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot and blemish. The Word of God is life-changing. When you believe the Word of God and receive the Word of God and obey the Word of God, it leads you to Jesus who is the person of salvation and who paid the price of salvation on our behalf. But let me tell you something. It's a personal salvation. Because nobody else can be saved for you. So so often I'll ask a person, well, kind of where are you on your spiritual journey? Well, you know, I'm not sure, but I'll tell you one thing. My grandfather was a great Christian, or or, or, or my uncle was a preacher. And I said, that's good. I mean, that's good. But where are you on the journey? See, your grandfather cannot be saved for you, and your uncle couldn't be saved for you. Salvation is the most personal thing in the world. I mean, as much as I love my children, I can't make the choice for them. They have to make their own choice to receive and to follow Jesus Christ. Hey, the person of salvation is Jesus. The price of salvation is on the cross. Jesus took our sin so we could have his righteousness. But the personal part of salvation is that each one of us, each one of us have to repent of our sin and receive Christ. Well, there's a great verse. You say, well, now, now, now how is a person saved? I mean, Brother, Hi, Brother Fred, how is it? L- listen to what Paul said. Do you know in two verses in Acts, he told us exactly what salvation involves on our part? He said in verse 20 of Acts 20, I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and Greeks, hear it now, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you know what I preach? You have to repent of your sins toward God, and you have to have your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I hear a lot today about believing in Jesus. And, and, and I, listen, but let me tell you something. There has to be repentance of sin. In other words, well, what is repentance? It's to change your mind. It's to go in another direction. Hey, listen, it's so clear. It's metanoia. You're going in one direction. You're going in one direction, and you realize it's wrong. And then you stop, and you turn around, and you turn away from that, and you go in another direction. That's called repentance. You say, well, Brother Fred, I've confessed my sins. Let me ask you this. Have you ever repented of them? Because when you repent of them, you turn away from them. Instead of continuing in them, you turn from them them repentance toward God I love to read Psalm 51 you know David had sinned against God committed adultery with Bathsheba sent her husband to the furnace of the battle and had the troops draw back so that Uriah her husband was killed in the battle David was guilty Nathan confronted David and you know what David did he repented toward God listen to what he said In Psalm 51, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Listen to what he said. Against you and you only, O God, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. He said, my sin is ever before me. And you read the 51st Psalm and you see a man who is repenting of their sin toward God. And by the way, David turned away. He repented of his sin and he put his faith in God. Has there ever been a time in your life where you acknowledge to God your sin. And you have not only confessed them, but you said, God, by your grace, I repent. I'm going to turn away from my sin. And I'm going to turn to Jesus. So the scriptures talk about, uh, uh, make us wise about this matter of salvation. But l- let me say this also, which is very, very important the scriptures make us wise about sanctification. Now that's a big word for everyday life. The Bible makes it clear how that we can grow in our spiritual life. You see on one occasion Paul said to the Corinthians, I can't speak to you as mature people. I can't speak to you as fully grown Christians. He said, I can only speak to you as a babe. You've never grown up in Christ, let me say one thing: salvation is the beginning, but it's only the beginning. And in salvation, results in you growing spiritually. You grow spiritually. You go stronger. You go from being a child to a young man or woman, or to an older person. And then an adult. the Bible speaks about that. And I want to tell you something: salvation is the total package. It is you're saved, but then you go. In Bible, what the Bible calls sanctification. You grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Far too many people say, well, man, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. Well, wait a minute. Heaven is a byproduct. I mean, Jesus didn't save you just to go to heaven. He saved you so he could come and live inside of you and live his life through you while you're on this earth. As we sang earlier let your light shine jesus said you're the light of the world jesus said of us we're the salt of the earth and that is only true as we grow into maturity in the person of jesus christ it's called sanctification hey the bible not only is full of truth about salvation it is full of truth about sanctification you know Listen to the miracle of salvation that results in you growing as a Christian. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. That's pretty clear, isn't it? You're not the person you used to be. If anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. What I used to be, what I used to do, that's not who I am anymore. I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. And you know what? All things have become new. Before I really didn't understand the Bible. Now I understand it. Before I really didn't love the Word of God. But now I love the Word of God. Before I didn't want to go to church and gather with God's people. But now I I want to get with God's people and I want to worship God. Before it didn't bother me to sin. But now I'm a new creation. It troubles me when I sin. You see, this thing, the Bible, the Scripture, makes us wise. It teaches us how. And, and, and growing in Christ is the heart of the Word of God, how that we can grow up and be the mature Christian that God wants us to be. You say, well, Brother Fred, I, I, I fall short. But let, let me go back and remind you of this. Second Corinthians 5.20 says that God gave you the righteousness of Christ. Okay? Romans chapter 5 says, listen to this. We've received abundance of grace, stay with me, and the gift of righteousness. Now, when God sees you and me as believers, Christ lives in us. We're genuinely converted. He sees us in the righteousness of Jesus. We have his righteousness. Now, that means we can live out that righteousness on this earth. We can live it out. It is imputed to us, but we can live a righteous and a godly life because we have the righteousness of Jesus. You know, the, the truth that really sets you free about growing in Christ is when you realize that Christ lives in you. You know, and how does he live in us? By the Holy Spirit. When, when, when Brother Ed led us to sing Holy Spirit Uh, flow, uh, uh, dwell in me and Holy Spirit flow through me and Holy Spirit rain down. On Pentecost, you know what happened? Jesus Christ came to live inside of the believers in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says of you, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit Somebody says, well, where on earth does God live? Well, he lives over at the church building on Dolphin Street. Where on earth does God live? He lives on over in the church building on... No, no. Where on earth does God live? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, and you're not your own. You're bought with a price. So this matter of growing up into maturity in Christ is the understanding that we have the righteousness of Christ but that Jesus Christ has come to live in us. He lives inside of us. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Colossians 1:27 says, "It is Christ in you that is the hope of glory." Galatians 2:20 says, "I'm crucified with Christ; I live, but Christ lives in me." You know, a good prayer Jesus Christ, you live in me. I give you my mind. Think through it. Jesus Christ, you live through me, in me. I give you my eyes. Look through them. Jesus Christ, you live in me. I give you my heart. Love through it. And I give you my hands and feet. Work through it. You see, the the, the, the Word of God, the Scripture, makes it so clear about salvation that it is in Jesus Christ and in Jesus alone. But it also makes us to understand that he doesn't save us and say, all right, now live the Christian life in your own power. No. Listen, somebody asked me, you say, Brother Fred, isn't the Christian life difficult? I said, no, it's impossible. It's impossible. You can't live the Christian life. I can't live the Christian life. But Christ lives in us. And it is his presence in our life that enables us, as Christ lives his life through us. That's the power to live the Christian life. I love, uh, let me tell you, God really spoke to me about this. As I was thinking, you know, a lot of people are restless today. I've never seen such a, a restless society People just can't seem to be satisfied about anything. There's a restlessness. There was a sitcom that's still been on since for the last 40 years called The Young and the Restless. Have any of y'all ever seen that? I wouldn't admit it. Don't admit it. Now I'm gonna confess my wife's sin. When she was a lot younger, when she was a lot younger, it's been about 30 years ago, she she watched The Young and Restless. Well, we'd go out of town, and I'd have to call back and find out what happened on that chapter that she missed. Now, I, it's no use for me to go home. I'm in deep trouble. But anyway, I should have never done that. But, but you see, that, that tells me about society today. That when you don't find your satisfaction and your contentment and your peace in Jesus, you're just going to be restless. But one of the things about growing up in Christ... One of the things about being spiritually mature in Christ is man, there's a contentment and a satisfaction that the world didn't give to you and the world can't take it away. I want you to listen to these verses. And and if you're going through a time of restlessness in your life, and you just you say you're restless in your marriage. Well, I don't know if I married the right person. Little time a little late to talk about that, ain't it? <laughs> you know, I think I made the wrong choice. Like, come on. Don't be like the guy that came to see me that had his ring on his, this, it, on his uh, uh, what hand is that? that that's, my, uh, that's my left hand. I said, what are you doing with your ring on your left hand? He said, I married the wrong woman. I'm glad that, that you can't do that. But are you restless? I want to ask you, are you restless? Well, it's in Christ is where we find satisfaction. Listen to what it says. Paul says, not that I speak in regard to need. Get this. I've learned whatever state I'm in to be content. I'm not restless. A grass is not always greener on the other side of the fence. It's not always better over there. It's not always what it could have been. He said, I've just learned that wherever I am to be satisfied. Now now, now wait a minute. It goes on and says, I know how to be abased. I know how to have nothing. I know how to abound To have everything. Everywhere in all things I've learned both to be full, to have everything I need, and to be hungry. Both to abound and suffer need. But listen to the next verse. This is how you overcome restlessness. I can do all things. Oh, that's the next verse. He said, I've been up and I've been down. I've had more than I needed. I have less than I needed. But you know, I've learned to be satisfied. Why? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When I have a lot, Jesus is my strength. When I have a little, Jesus is my strength. When I start getting restless and think, well, it's better. No, then I realize, no, Christ is in me, and he is my strength. And whatever the state I'm in, that doesn't mean you don't ever want to do better in your job. It doesn't mean you never have ambition to improve. But I'm talking about being restless about a state that you're in. And see, that's part of sanctification. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, um, I love that verse in Philippians 1.25. Now, this is what sanctification is. Are you listening? For me to live as Christ... And to die is gain. What about that? Paul looked at his life and said, and he'd been in and out of jail. He'd been beaten. He'd been threatened. And he, and he said, you know, I'm really drawn between two things. He said, I'd like to just go ahead and go on and go to heaven. But it's necessary. God has told me it's necessary for me, for me to remain behind. because there's work for me to do. And then he said, let me tell you what I know. For me to live is Christ. He said, but to die is gain. There, you, that's the only way you can say to die is gain. Well, for me to live is riches. That doesn't necessarily mean to die is gain. For me it's popularity. That doesn't mean necessarily to die is gain. For, uh, to, for me to live is success, but that's good. God doesn't want you to fail. But you can't say, the only way you can say to die is gain it's safe for, for me to live as Christ. Christ lives in me. He's forgiven my sin. I am a child of God. And it's not a matter of dying for me to live as Christ. And to die is gain. Paul said it, O oh death, where is your sting? O oh grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ they are just two other things. One, the Scripture, life-changing Scriptures. If you bathe the Scriptures about salvation, put your faith and trust in Christ with repentance of sin, salvation is yours. It talks about sanctification. If you'll stop looking to yourself and start looking to Jesus who lives in you and let Him live through you, He will live the abundant life in and through you as you surrender. But then there's a sufficiency of Christ. Hey, we've learned one thing, and I, I mean this. This is so true. You don't know Jesus is all you need till Jesus is all you got. And you know, sometimes God has to bring us to the place where you say, well, there's no human person that can help me. And you'll find then what I've said before, that the sufficiency of Christ, it's there. You know, What did he said in Hebrews 13, 5? This is how sufficient Jesus is. I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. You know what Hebrews 13, 8 says? Talking about the sufficiency of Jesus for whatever you go through. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. Listen at this. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then the verse that means so much to all of us who go through trials and tribulations, heartaches and sorrows, disappointments, Paul had a thorn in his flesh flesh, and he prayed three times. God, would you take it away? Would you take it away? And you know what God's reply was. No, I'm not. But he said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. My grace is sufficient for you. Not will be, it is. Your strength is made perfect in my weakness. For when you are weak, that's when you're strong. Jesus said, when you find out that it's my grace that's holding you up and that I'm the difference, that's when you're really, really strong. Have you ever wondered about this, about having dying grace? You say, well, Lord, I'm not afraid to die. I mean, I know I'm saved. I know I'm a child of God. But you know, it's it's not that I'm going to die, it's how. And you've often wondered and thought, well, I wonder if I'll have dying grace. That God will give me the grace when it comes from my time to go to meet Him. If I'll have the grace of God. Let me tell you what you'll find out. The grace of God is already there. You don't need it until you get there. You know, I've often thought, well, what if all the disciples, and let think about this, all the disciples died a martyr's death. Every one of them, Died because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And somebody says, well, you know, it, it, it could be happening in America where eventually what happens in, a, in the Hindu countries and the Indian countries where Christians are killed every day. I read this week about, you know, I mean, it's just uh, the militants just going there and they hate Christians and, and they kill them. People are martyred every day. Uh, they're young men who when they get ready to go out, they've been in schools that some of our people have taught, they make a vow of martyrdom before they ever go out to start planting a church in India and other places because they know it could cost them their life. Somebody says, well, Brother Fred, I I don't know if I could do that. Hey, listen, you won't know you could do it until you get there. And just as there'd be dying grace, that would be the grace to be a martyr. Well, I I don't know if I could go through cancer. I don't know. Hey, wait a minute. Listen, listen. You don't know. But God's grace said, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. I'll tell you, when you get there, if you're God's child, God's grace will already be there. And you will find uh, the sufficiency of Christ. But then there's one last thing. I talk about the scriptures that talk about the salvation that's in Christ. And they talk about the sanctification growing up in Christ. And talk about the sufficiency of Christ. But man talks about the security that is in Christ. Don't you love the security that the believer has? I love John 10, 28 and 29. We all learned those pretty early in our Christian life, where Jesus said in John ten twenty eight, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And listen to this. I give to them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them. Out of my hand, he said, "My Father, who gave them to me, is greater than all, and no one can pluck them out of my Father's hand." You talk about security. You talk about security. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Security in Jesus. I love that verse over in First John, First Peter, where it says, "We have a living hope." We have an inheritance, and then it says, "It's reserved in heaven for us, First Peter one, four and five. It's reserved in heaven for us. Now listen to this: who are kept by God's power." Did you hear that? Jesus not only saves us, he keeps us. He said, "We are kept by the power of God unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Security, security. Lazarus died. Martha was brokenhearted. Jesus said to her, let me tell you something, Martha. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he would die, yet should he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that? He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm talking about security in Christ. You know, there's no other book like this book. You read it, it it'll make you wise toward salvation and how to be sanctified and how God is sufficient and how you secure in Him. But you've got you to believe it. You've got to receive it. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you've got to obey it. It's not enough to know it. It has to become a part of your life. Talking about the sufficiency of Christ, let me give you a great verse. The Bible says in Colossians 2, 8, and 9, In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. You notice it said? It doesn't say you're complete in the church or you're complete in good works, which all have their places. No. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. You know, life-changing verses life-changing scriptures, all through here, about salvations, sanctification, the sufficiency of Christ, and the security in Christ. Man, we need to believe them, receive them, and obey them.